Welcome to the Half Space Podcast. Hi, this is the Half Space Podcast and it's brought to you by St Mary's University Football Coaching and Development Programmes. This podcast is for coaches and will bring you conversations on cutting-edge research topics and discussions on how you can embed these into your coaching. Each week, we will bring you a different conversation with an expert and consider how you can embed the concepts into your coaching. Please follow us on Twitter at the Half Space Pod for a research paper linked to this week's podcast. This week, we speak to Mike Gillam. Mike is the course lead for the MSc in Performance Football Coaching here at St Mary's University. Mike reflects on the various strategic leadership positions he has held in applied practice and his career journey from coach to sporting director. Thanks very much for joining us on the Half Space podcast today. Um, it's really going to be really interesting to find out a little bit about your background and how you've kind of ended up progressing onto the role and to currently be a course leader um, of the performance football coaching masters that we have here at St Mary's. So just to kick us off, can you let us know a little bit about kind of your early sporting background and, and how you ended up first kind of coming into sport? Was it that you studied sport at university? Um, and did you have that passion from a youngster as well? Uh, yeah, thanks, Claire, and thanks for having me on. I think um, I definitely had the passion for sport. Um, I'm going to make myself sound really old and say that I didn't go to university because there probably wasn't as many opportunities as there are now. And I certainly look at our portfolio of undergraduate programmes and postgraduate programmes, and they weren't around when I was uh, when I was the relevant age. And I'm, I'm not that old, I don't think, but certainly makes me sound quite old there was a few sports coaching development courses emerging at the time but I, I didn't feel they were so relevant for me um yeah passion for football and played football as a kid um variety of different levels I then started coaching when I left uh, when I was studying at my further education college um and just got into coaching with a local local coaching company started working with young children um, and my career progressed from there really with a, a real passion for coaching at the time. Um, I moved into some to a full-time role when I was 18 with Portsmouth Football Club working in the community, which was really good grounding, just doing session after session after session in, in school environments, at, um, centre of excellence sessions, as they were called then, development centre type stuff as well. Um, before just progressing my career as a coach and then uh, at quite a young age, I think I was around 20 or 21, I managed to get a, a full-time role working for the FA as an FA skills coach. And it was at this point where I still wanted to be the highest level coach I possibly could. Um, at that point, just taking on more qualifications, the FA Youth Award, I think I had the B licence by then. Um, started to get involved in, in loads of projects at the FA at a really exciting time when we launched the Youth Awards. Um, we were working across the country in the skills programme. We were conducting the FA Youth Development Review, which implemented 5v5 football and 9v9 football, because, again, making me sound old, but before that, it was 7v7 straight into 11v11. Um, it was a really exciting time to be a part of that with sort of the Trevor Brooking era at the FA and, and subsequent Dan Ashworth era. Really enjoyed my time there, and, and I progressed a little bit like teachers do, I suppose. I progressed into more management roles um, over time. I ended up being leading a region for the FA of, of coaches across the sort of southeastern then began a bit of a passion for sort of leadership management strategy culture type stuff so fast fast forward to sort of today when students ask about research interests and stuff I suppose it is still around coaching but also leadership management strategy culture and yeah moved from the FA into Surrey FA as a head of football development um 
where again that wasn't coaching at all um so I, I was really in a strategic role leading a department of people having a relatively sizable budget working on facilities working on participation working on coach education working on refereeing which was an experience do you, do um, you think that your on. experience kind of as a coach and coming through those community schemes and doing so much coaching through things like the the FA skills program that actually helped you when you transitioned into those leadership roles because you were managing people and you had that overview of what it was like to be to be doing the roles kind of on the grass if you like yeah do you know what like I talk about this a lot there's the the skill set across the two things is is really similar they're both human interaction discipline type things um I say a lot that coaching, we need to forget, not forget, but we need to worry less about the X's and O's of our session plan or whatever, whether we're going to play with a back three and actually worry more about how we're going to connect with individual human beings that we're working with. Um, leadership roles are the exact same principle. So I think having a, spending hours and hours of time on on the grass as it is coaching certainly prepares you for leadership roles. And that's where um, football coaches can in my opinion, transitioning to other roles really relatively seamlessly because the skill sets are, yeah, certainly really similar for sure. And when you kind of were in that role kind of at the County FA and you were overseeing kind of such a wide kind of span of things, like you see referee development, you know, uh, women's and girls football facilities development, how did you try and sort of manage the different priorities and, and make sure that you understood what was happening and what was needed by all your members of staff without necessarily being an expert in women's and girls football or in referee development? I think, yeah, whether I did a good job of this or not, I'm not sure, but just working with the team and, and trying at least to delegate and empower other people to lead on their specific areas. And I was very passionate about that, um, very passionate about members of the team being accountable for certain areas, trying to promote um, everybody, supporting everybody. I didn't like this kind of, oh, that's the referee job, you know, referee development officer's job. I kind of wanted a, a culture, I suppose, of everybody collaborating together, which is very much uh, a football culture and a sport culture. Um, there were some really good people at Surrey FA that led certain areas that within the department that I had, and it was um, great to work with them and just kind of build upon some good work that was already in place. But yeah, to answer the question, it's, it was very much for me about trusting people um, empowering people, giving them the opportunity, even like one small change I implemented, which isn't rocket science, but previous to my tenure, the budget was held by the previous post holder. Whereas I just divvied the budget up and said, well, you're leading women and girls. Here's, here's your budget. You're accountable for it. And here's your targets. And then um, certainly, you're absolutely spot on. I wasn't the expert in in very many of those areas. I was a, a football coach that had progressed through into into this role, and with the variety of work that we did, I was never going to be the expert in everything. But I suppose there's a, there's a skill about empowering other people, but also knowing enough detail um, to be able to report back and report up and down and across and to stakeholders, etc. And that was probably a skill set that I certainly learned whilst I was there. Around yes, trusting other people, but not just leaving them, working with them, supporting them um, and making sure that I knew enough detail to be able to fight the corner in the relevant rooms to make things happen. And within a county FA, obviously, it is quite complex. You often have your football development unit. You've also got your governance unit. So how much did you feel that 
you had to work with kind of the governance side and and manage relationships with them as and so kind of manage relationships upwards and across as well as sort of down to the staff that, that you were a line manager for yeah it was something that emerged in, in my time there really I spoke just then about trying to have what we'd now call multidisciplinary like approach within the football development department so women and girls working with refereeing or whatever and um, certainly something we tried and strive to do across the whole organization so football development working with football services governance working with finance and that's certainly something that that grew I think the establishment of a real sort of clear outline of a senior management team is is key to that so in my role I wanted to be a member of the football development team but also a member of a senior management team and that I needed to feel part of the two teams I think it's probably fair to say when I started at Surrey FA that that wasn't the case with uh, it, there was lots of silos um, with different teams and certainly nothing to do with me but I think just over time as people learned and developed and some people changed and certain role profiles changed that that collaborative nature did did kind of grow um, and, and it was really really important and able to be able to to serve the game in the most effective way but also I think I worked within the county FA remit at a time when the budget was just cut and cut and cut um, because it there was some alignment with public sector and there was alignment with obviously the FA and certainly towards the back end of my time, the money that the FA gave to counties was pretty drastically cut. So what you then tend to find is that the resources within the organisation have to be more efficient. Therefore, people have to collaborate. People have to work together. That's probably the positive of any cuts happening. Um, but there's certainly something that, that grew as time went on, that kind of what we would now call quite cliche, like multidisciplinary working, people supporting each other differently grew over time. And was it was it interesting going from being a part of the skills team and, and leading kind of the, the team in that Trevor Brooking era where there was a relatively nice amount of money available and money was being generally pumped into two football development and two kind of the skills programme and things, to then see that transition during your time at the County FA to where you were having to do things maybe on a smaller budget with less resources and, and develop this more multidisciplinary was it quite interesting seeing that transition and, and seeing maybe how people reacted and responded to that and possibly some of the creative initiatives that maybe had to come out of those changes? Yeah, it was it was really interesting. And, and I think in hindsight, looking back on it, I probably moved from an era within the FA where things were very, very dynamic. Um, there was investment into the game. It was needed. Some of that was government as well, which was great. But there was investment into the game, which was needed. Um, investment into coaching, investment into refereeing investment into you know St George's Park opened while I was at the FA and it was quite dynamic some really sort of I guess leaders in their field when Dan Ashworth came in he was fantastic to work for in that technical directorate team um, and some really sort of good people within the skills program Martin Preston in particular to probably organisations and, and county FAs where things are perhaps less dynamic if I'm being quite honest um, things are very traditionalist um, and things are done on yeah certainly on a smaller budget and I know the FA always had a challenge with county FAs to try and you know get them to move the game forward but I think you're right there's some really good people working in county FAs there's some really innovative work going on and and with a different sort of culture in the county that I found it was it was about being a bit different with resources and you're quite right I worked at the FA when 
there was money spent on big coaching conferences and things like that because you know those resources were available and that's not to say there was loads of money at the FA it's just to say that it was a bigger organization whereas coming and working for a smaller organization it just presents different types of challenges and different types of innovations that you need to overcome and I'm quite proud of some of the work that we certainly did at, at Surrey FA um, and there's quite a few other really proactive county FAs out there that are doing their best for grassroots football that's for sure. And during your time at Surrey, were you also coaching kind of during this time? And if so, was it important to you almost to be seen as someone that, yes, I am in this leadership role, but I do still coach and I am still aware of kind of the challenges, the opportunities that were available through coaching? Yeah, definitely. I think um, when I started at Surrey, I was still finishing an A license that I'd started at the FA and I managed to get myself in at Car short and athletic and non-league um, and uh, grateful to Paul Dupre, the chairman there, for giving me the opportunity to go in and work for Peter Adeni, the manager, where, again, it was great to be in and around grassroots football. Um, I spent the majority of my time working with Car Shorten's first team, but this was a grassroots club that had, at the time, about 50 youth teams. And in 2013, I think it had won the UA for grassroots club of the year and fantastic environment to be in, to be able to talk about things in team meetings or what have you in in the day job and then go out and actually see it was was crucial. Um, probably a year or two into my time at Surrey FA, I left Carshilton and moved into a role at Fulham Football Club. So coaching in the academy where I still coach now, um, slightly different because it's not grassroots football, but again, gave me a, an entirely different perspective on things. Um, and I think certainly with my coaching hat on with, as part of my day job um, and coach development, overseeing coach development, it was good for me to still be out on the grass and, I remember working at Surrey FA where I'd, I'd be in early in order to leave early and get changed in the toilet to get across to get, get across to Fulham, um, you know, which I did on a regular basis. Um, and uh, I think that some some people can be accused, especially in County FA, is if I'm being quite critical, there are quite a lot of staff that would could quite easily be accused of being in their ivory tower. And I was always conscious of not being that and wanting to be out and about and out on the ground there's probably you could quite easily work for a county fa and spend months if not years without seeing a football or seeing a football being kicked and i didn't feel that that was right and it certainly wasn't me so i was quite and not that i did it perfectly but i certainly made a real effort to try and get out and about in my other roles or just as part of my day job to, to kind of see grassroots football and moving and making that transition into kind of a more elite football environment in contrast to maybe the more participation levels that, that you'd done before and more community levels in terms of the skills program and things like that. Was it quite, quite interesting seeing that contrast and, and experience, experiencing that contrast in terms of from a coaching point of view and did that influence almost the day job that you did at that time? I think it did, if I'm honest. Um, at the end of the day, coaching children, still children, you know, whether they're in a Fulham tracksuit on a, on a nice facility or whether they're on you know a council pitch in a different type of kit it's the same concept coaching is coaching I think what I found was an environment at Fulham that was very different very professional in its setup um at the time when I joined under a really astute leader in the academy director a club that is a club that is quite well renowned for its sustainability um yes okay reliant on the ownership model um I don't know many football clubs that aren't but pretty well run um, by the CEO and by the academy director. Things were very efficient. Um, safeguarding practices and audit results were always relatively high. 
and there was a real multidisciplinary approach to things. So there was absolutely some learnings to be taken from that in terms of how, you know, how the team worked to deliver the most appropriate player development program possible. Um, certainly stuff I took from that back to Surrey FA. I felt that Fulham was a, the academy department, a really dynamic department full of some top coaches and just trying to, and like anything, I'd always advocate working in different environments as much as you can, just to take learnings from one to the other and to build up your own skill set, which I, I certainly did at, at all of the environments I worked in, but at uh, that particular time, certainly with Surrey FA and Fulham Football Club. And at this time, was this when you started kind of the sport directorship that, that you studied at um, MMU? Yeah, it was. Um, so I developed a keen interest now in probably broadly defined as football business um leadership strategy culture stuff like i mentioned earlier as well as as well as coaching and yeah mmu uh, the, the degree program up there the masters in sport directorship was one that was really attractive to me i'd seen quite a few people do it um some high profile people do it as well which sort of told me that there was some six potential you know positives around the program i wanted to do something i think at this point in my career i'd i'd I say only, but I'd done a lot of coaching qualifications. I'd achieved the FA Youth Award with a UHRA licensed coach and hadn't done anything else um, qualification-wise and was keen to do something that supported me with my day job and helped hopefully prepare me for the future. So yeah, I embarked on that journey at that particular time and that was a really probably the best thing I've done in terms of my own professional development in terms of the way in which the programme was structured um, and the network that I built and friends that I'm still in touch with now even though I completed the Masters a few years ago. So yeah, it was at that time I, I began to do it and it was um, it was a really key probably moment for me in terms of my own development. And obviously you spoke about kind of at the time when you would have done your undergraduate, there maybe wasn't really a programme for you. So it's interesting that you, you reached the stage both professionally and, and personally that you kind of thought, yeah, it's right for me to do this now. And maybe it added another string to your bow as well, which almost tied things together because you'd been through the journey to your A licence in terms of the coaching side and, and this maybe nicely complemented that other side and the more management and, and strategic leadership side as well. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that was certainly what I'd hoped um, and certainly kind of how it played out. I didn't have the formal learning opportunities um, when I was younger. And if there were opportunities, I, I probably just ended up landing in a job and just carried on working. And I was really keen at this point in my career when I was in sort of strategic leadership role to do some form of training to support me with that and help me move my career onwards um, because I aspired to work in that domain and uh, to do a qualification in it I felt was, was only appropriate just like I guess any undergraduate student at 18 following a traditional pathway and wanting to embark on a journey whether that's on coaching or anything um, you go and get yourself qualified and then you start to build your experiences as much as you can and that was certainly something I wanted to do but just felt I had experience pre the qualification that I could bring to the table as well. And I know now you're in kind of a leadership role at Basingstoke. How did that come about? And was it a result of the Masters or did it kind of come about and emerge at a similar time that you were doing that? Um, it emerged a bit later. So probably a bit of a result of the Masters. My work at Fulham and work at Surrey FA was the opportunity to join the university here, um, which, which happened uh, 2020. Um, really good opportunity for me and an opportunity to go and, you know, learn more about multidisciplinary areas of the game and hopefully have an impact at St Mary's and it opened the door to work in other areas so yeah I'm director of football now at Basingstoke in non-league Basingstoke Town Football Club 
Um, and then I do some other little bits as well. So I'm a uh, policy advisor for Fair Game, a company that's working at the moment at the time of us doing this, um, recording this, working on the Tracy Crouch um, review of fan-led review of football. I suspect by the time we release this podcast, that review will be out and that'll be a key role for Fair Game to play, uh, disseminating that and working with clubs. Um, I'm also a, a trustee at an organisation called QM Leisure, which is a local leisure trust and trying to build as much strategic leadership experience as well as still coaching at Fulham and my university day job to complement the skill set, complement the role at the uni um, and students hopefully seeing me working in the applied setting and that, that adding maybe a level of credibility or at least a level of conversation that we can have around the topics, but also my own learning and development around strategic leadership, sport directorship and still doing it um, on a day-to-day basis in, in a few different settings around the university. And within your role at Basingstoke, how much do you think that it's beneficial that you've had that experience at a county FA, that you've had the experience as a coach at, at Fulham and kind of previously, you know, in, in roles with the FA skills programme? How much now do you think actually within that role I can, can oversee, you know, the running of a whole football club, really? Yeah, it's a fantastic opportunity to, to like, put all those learnings to the test, I suppose, a little bit. Um, coincided with the the context of the football club, which is, in truth, it's a new football club, technically speaking, that was sort of built again in 2017. And I won't go on about the politics too much, but a previous owner that the, the club is still facing challenges with in terms of the owner taking the facility away from the football club and trying to sell the land for some houses. And the football club not being financially sustainable and basically shut down and then reformed as a community football club. Um, concurrently to that, the men's first team, which is the the bit that people look at, I suppose, from a, I guess, public relations point of view, the, the men's first team dropping down a few leagues from step two to step four. Um, and things being a bit blank canvassy, if I'm honest, um, that was really attractive. So an opportunity to support a club that's local to where I live and where I grew up um, Local is obviously a key thing. A bit of a blank canvas in terms of where the club's at, um, and a, but a, a club that's got a massive fan base um, and experience of being at a high level, and an opportunity for me to use, hopefully, use the skills that I've gained in all the different areas of my career to try and help the club grow and develop, whilst at the same time enabling me to grow and develop. And the things have sort of coincided quite nicely. Um, I'm just hoping it's quite early days at this uh, as we're speaking, hoping that things do progress. But things have things have made we've made some big impacts already. And it's not just me. There's a, a young manager who works at the club in the men's team who's really proactive um, and different to, I guess, a traditional non-league approach. Um, women's manager, the same. Um, and some top coaches that work in the setup um, that hopefully between there's, I guess, a lot of potential at the club and it's hoping over the next few years that we can realise that and I can contribute. And it must be exciting, like you say, to have a club that is very much a blank canvas that you can bring things to, that you can bring your experience, but potentially that may be more open to trying things as well. I know within football, often a big criticism is clubs often always do what they've always done. There's a certain um, way that the club is led, perhaps a certain style of play that's ex- expected, you know, if we look at on the field, but off the field, often, you know, historically there's, this is how we always do it here. So it must be really exciting to have, have that blank canvas and be able to bring your experience, but your personality as well, and kind of 
introduce some things that that you think could really work at, at that level yeah it is a fantastic opportunity i think we've got what the football club has done um intentional or not there's there's a relatively new board um as well which i'm a part of which is a really nice place to be and i've spent a lot of time with non-league football club boards over my career and there's a really proactive board at Basingstoke. um but it's coupled with i guess some some members of the board who have been around the football club certainly for longer than i have um they probably tell me off for kind of highlighting their age that comes with that but there's a couple of more traditional board members that are really good to have there because they remember how things were many years ago and have been involved in the club for many years. And then there's a, some other board members sort of like myself that are um, coming at things from a slightly different angle and, and hopefully trying to trying to add value and make things as modern and professional as they can be. And the two things coupled together with the fact that it is a new football club is sort of produces that blank canvas and where the club was, was born again in 2017. Um, with COVID, this is sort of the first full season we've had, um, really, and a, a real opportunity just to see where we're at and put a marker down and then try and try and grow and develop from there, whilst obviously growing and developing as much as we can right now. But because things are so new and things are, board members are so new, you know, it, it nothing's off the table. Um, and we like to do things a little bit differently, um, which we have done. We have done things a little bit differently and that's been exciting to be a part of for sure. And in terms of your hopes and your aspirations over the next 12 months for Basingstoke, what, what does that look like? What do you hope for the club? Yes, it's a good question. Something that we're, we're probably still wrestling with ourselves in terms of our strategic aims and objectives with the football club and trying to nail down what they are, whilst at the same time just trying to exist. Um, ultimately, for the football club at the moment, I'm, I sort of alluded to the facility challenges earlier there. The football club doesn't own its own facility. and those listening to this that are familiar with non-league football will recognise the challenges that that brings in terms of revenue generation in order to sustain the football club. So I think I don't think that's something that will probably be solved over the next 12 months, but a longer term goal is certainly for the club to ideally return to its its long its its previous home or to at least find a sustainable solution um, where the club can can run its own facility. Um, probably to answer your question more specifically over the next 12 months and, and in relation to my specific role, it's just about broadening the football offer so uh, trying to tie things together a little bit more um, pathways analyze and, and develop the player pathway on men's and, and women's side of the game um, try and analyze try and improve the offer to young people um, at the club but also within the community crucially and trying to grow our presence within the community of Basingstoke because that's what if a football club's not doing that, then kind of what, what is it doing? That's what football clubs should be about. Um, just the community offer, the offer to the existing players and parents. Um, and then there's, I guess, the more competitive offer with the men's and women's team and trying to ensure that they're as successful as possible and, and try and round off some multidisciplinary elements of that. So before I came into post, there wasn't a recruitment or scouting network, um, but now we have one, which is good. Um, so it's just things like that that are, trying to improve but we're, we're so early in in our existence and in our work that we're yet to be really clear about what our strategic objectives are apart from just do things better um, and I think we're probably at a point where we get to the end of this season we can be a bit more settled with the board that we've got and the staff that we've got and the financial picture and then we can actually look to look to kind of come up with a, a five-year or maybe longer strategy because at the minute it's about being sustainable it's about staying alive and it's about being competitive and trying to pull things together. So 
for me, yeah, if I can if I can help ensure that the club has a community offer, if I can grow the um, if I can grow the offer within the academy and professionalise things within that, and if I can professionalise things within the first team, then that's important already. Making some progress with that, as I mentioned, around scouting and recruitment, player ID, made some progress around sports therapy and medical, um, made some progress around analysis, performance analysis and stuff. Um, if we can continue to do that, then I'll be really happy. And I suppose very different to that you, you touched upon earlier is the, the work that you're doing in terms of fair game and the report being produced kind of by Tracy Crouch. What's your role within that and, and what are your, your hopes for that and what are your expectations when, when that report is published? So my role originally began as a policy advisor where we wrote, Fair Game wrote a manifesto um, and fed into the, the fan-led review and were one of the consultees that Tracy Crouch was engaging in. So I was contributing to those pieces of work along with a number of other academics and, and experts which was a really exciting thing to do and culminated in a manifesto being produced. Um, at the current time, what our, my main sort of time is spent on is around trying to engage with clubs. So clubs can be members of Fair Game and advocates of Fair Game. Um, we're trying to get, obviously, as many clubs as we possibly can. The aspiration for Fair Game is to have 50 by the end of the season, um, this current 21-22 season. So it's about engaging with new clubs to try and recruit them into Fair Game's message. Um, and retaining the existing clubs and almost acting as a relationship manager with them. Um, again, at the, obviously, at the time we're recording, we've just had um, the EFL come out and state that there is a need for an independent regulator in football, which is uh, welcome news to Fair Game. And, and Fair Game indeed put a press release out this morning. So it's about, for me at the moment, it's about supporting Fair Game, advising on policy and advising on their work, but also trying to engage with other clubs with, I guess, my non-league and my professional football club hat on as well as my academic hat on hopefully um, I can I can help fair game with that and I think like you say it's it feels like there is a movement towards change in terms of football and that's not to say that there won't be resistance but there it definitely feels to me like there's an appetite for change and I think that's something very different to to previous reviews and, and previous years and I know that a lot of people and a lot of people within football, a lot of the triggers to that was kind of the, the rumours about the European Super League and, you know, worries around things like that. And I think that there's definitely a root and branches review needed and equally there's an appetite for change from, from top to bottom. And yeah, I think there's, there's definitely a, a desire to move forwards in terms of football and that at the moment not, not everything is right. No, I think that's fair. I think there's an element of sustainability that comes into play and it's certainly at the forefront of the work that Fair Game do around sustainability for football for the future and the sport continuing to be an offer for future generations, just like it has been for many generations already. And there's certain question marks around has football moved away from its core purpose? And I touched on earlier, Basingstoke Town and our, our work in the community, that's what football clubs should be about. It should be a focal point for the community. It should be an opportunity for people to socialise and meet other people and have a common cause. And at the moment, I think if you look at football, there's more time spent around other elements of football that isn't that. Um, and there's loads of topics, whether that's finances or whether that's governance um, that come into this. But certainly you're right, there's a need for change, a very public need for change that probably was, was sped up by the proposed European Super League and I guess the fan uproar that came with that, as well as top 
top sort of professional people and um, people with big followings kind of, you know, supporting the need for that to not happen. And that kind of sped things up. And, and I suppose more recently, the EFL sort of stating that there is a need for an independent regulator. Um, and I guess people just recognising that it, football isn't sustainable in its current manner. And hence the um, production of organisations like Fair Game and Her Game 2 and other organisations like that that are about trying to make football more equitable, more transparent and uh, you know, what it says on the tin in terms of fair game, making things more sustainable for sure. Yeah, and I think for a lot of us, it's they're the reasons why we fell in love with football is because we went to our local club, you know, we played in the local park. That's what really hooked us in. And this idea that, that football is slowly shifting away from that. And yeah, I appreciate that that football clubs are huge, huge businesses now. And, you know, they have a lot of corporate responsibility. But I think at the heart of some of the most successful clubs, they need to remind themselves that actually that they need to re-engage with their local communities and before those local communities and, and they have a responsibility. And, you know, we've seen in the past few years, clubs like Berry that were kind of the heart and soul of, of a community really be no more. And it's a concern that that, that may become almost a, a season on season thing. And, and that's not what anyone wants to see, you know, because there is something very pure about going and seeing your, your local football club, whether that's as a kid, whether, you know, it's, it's an, as an adult. And I think, you know, for, for a lot of us, that's, that's what made us fall in love with the game. Yeah, you're spot on. And I think there's quite, football gets a lot of negative press, um, much of it quite rightly so. And there's a lot of work to be done. Hence, you know, people like me supporting organisations like Fair Game and organisations like Fair Game just, um, you know, being produced. But there is also a lot of positivity in the sport and a lot of positive work going on. And for, for every Berry football club and every owner like the uh, ex-owner of Berry Football Club, um, there are, you know, many positive examples of, of football clubs and, and there are many positive owners that are trying to do the right thing for football. I think, like anything, there is a lot of money in the game. There's a lot of interest in the game. It's our national sort of sport, our number one sport. And with that comes the opportunity for things to be uh, not done correctly. So I suppose what needs to happen is really you know, stringent governance practices, um, lots of regulation to make sure that things are fair and equitable, um, which is often the challenge you see at the top end of any industry. Um, there's been a lot of, this isn't certainly a topic for us, but there's been a lot of conversation about the transparency of our top end of our government at the moment in the, at the time that we're recording this. And I'm sure it's the same in other sectors too, but certainly in the sector that we work in, in, in football, it's a, a key piece of work and something that does need to be done. And, and it's great to be a part of an organisation like Fair Game to try and help. Yeah, it must be. And you must really feel like you're in a position where you, you can affect change, whether that is through your role at, at Basingstoke or whether it's through the work that, that you're doing with, with Fair Game. And I think that's really leads us nicely to, to the last question and kind of looking at what, what do you want the future to hold for you and kind of what are your priorities over the next 12 months or so, whether that is, you know, in your role as a course lead or, or whether it's in some of the, the wider roles and responsibilities that you have touched on it there around like an exciting time at Basingstoke exciting time at Fair Game and it's an exciting time for us at the university because we've gone through some change and there's you know these core feed roles that you and I occupied didn't exist a few months ago um 
with and there's academic research around this i suppose at some point i have to touch on academic research with this being an academic podcast from st mary's university but there is research that suggests if you can see your impact in your work then you're going to be more satisfied within your work um and i've certainly found that since i've joined the university and since i've started my role at basingstoke fair game etc because i'm seeing a big impact and you know that's the real positive thing so to answer your question i just want simply want to continue to do that whether that's as a course lead to improve the offer to our students um, to recruit more students into the program and to enhance the offer that we have to make things you know better experience pastoral care all of that stuff and then with the football club to as i mentioned earlier continue to improve things have a bigger impact on the community of basingstoke um, and with fair game have a bigger impact on the community of football that's certainly what i want to achieve and then to be able to grow and develop at the same time really in that I know that sounds quite cliche, but it, it is true. You know, if you can see your impact in your work, you're going to be more more satisfied. And I'm certainly seeing the impact of many areas of my work at the moment and want to continue to do that, for sure. Look, Mike, that's great. Thank you so much for, for joining us today. I think that's a really nice place for us to finish. So thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. Follow us on Twitter at The Half Space Pod.